We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, this is Stephen Haglin, the host of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting the show. As always, we do appreciate any ratings, reviews, likes, subscribes, comments on any podcast platform, including YouTube. And I want to start today off by giving a shout out to one of our sponsors, The Backroom Collection. You can find him on Twitter at The Backroom C-O-L-2. Again, that's The Backroom C-O-L-2. Uh, he has been putting out some fire chargers prints, and I think any football fan should check him out and be able to upgrade their man cave, their workout you know, situation, their home office, their actual office. Check him out online, thebackroomcollection.net. If you use the code GAC, that's G-A-C, on your first purchase, you get 10% off. He is even going to be able to attend a Justin Herbert signing. He's got a bunch of Justin Herbert prints that he will have signed by the man himself. Again, use the code GAC for 10% off at thebackroomcollection.net. Thank you so much for supporting him and our show. That being said, let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Chargers Analytics with Arjun. And boy, do we have some things to talk about today. So I'm recording this on Tuesday morning, the day of the trade deadline. And uh, right as I, right before I was about to hit record, I just found out that Melvin Ingram was going to the Chiefs, unfortunately. So we know the Chiefs are going to slightly improve their pass rush. I don't think Melvin Ingram's the same player he once was, but nonetheless, he should be a helpful addition to that, to that team. But like I said, it is the trade deadline today. Um, I'm recording this at 10 a.m. So at 4 p.m. in about six hours, we'll know if the Chargers made any moves. And that's something I'm going to talk about today. So by the time you hear this video, probably either Tuesday night on Patreon or Wednesday, Thursday, whenever on Spotify or YouTube, you know, you'll know what happened to the Chargers. And I'll, I'll kind of break down why I don't think the Chargers are going to make any moves. Um, and then you kind of under, you should understand a little bit about why they don't make any moves. They haven't made any moves. We're also just going to be talking about, you know, the Chargers so far in 2021 we're about eight weeks in, seven weeks in, so we're kind of at that midway point where we know what the Chargers are going to be, even though I think there's a lot of uncertainty around L.A. right now just because it started off really hot, and now we've had two really bad losses that you know I think people are getting or overreacting a little bit to, but it's something that we should have expected. and something I predicted, actually, 
three weeks ago saying I did, I did think the Chargers were slightly inflated because of things that eventually will regress to the mean and they have and you know we'll we'll talk we're going to talk a little bit about that today so let's let's start with let's just start with the Chargers in general so um this is from PFF right where I intern we have a strength of schedule uh strength of schedule model that we use so per our model the Chargers have actually had the third hardest schedule to start the year and we knew this like we knew we probably had the hardest uh we had like a top two hardest schedule weeks one through six we have the third hardest schedule weeks one through seven or weeks one through eight at this point so you know like we're four and three with a lot of things that were supposed to be against us with the new head coach offensive coordinator you know new pieces on on that offensive line we're four and three with the third hardest schedule in the league and the best part is we have the fifth easiest schedule going forward per PFF's model. PFF's model also has us making the playoffs 58% of the time, winning the AFC West 26% of the time. Um, I do think the 26% is kind of low because it does project the Raiders to make the playoffs, even though they have the fifth hardest schedule going forward. And they had, so think about this. We had the third hardest schedule up to this point. The Raiders have had the fifth easiest schedule we have the fifth easiest schedule going forward and the Raiders have the fifth hardest schedule going forward. So I do think, you know, the Chargers have done pretty well given how hard the schedule has been to this point. But like I said, you know, we we as a fan base knew how good this team was and all we needed was the right coach. And that coach showed himself, Brandon Sealy showed how good he was the first five something weeks. And then, you know, they kind of fell off a little bit um, in the Ravens and Patriots game. And I do think they're still a good team but we, we do need to talk about some of the statistics behind it. So let me just talk about the Chargers have 17 dropped passes. So all this talk about Joe Lombardi and, you know, is he a good coordinator or not? Like I said, he wasn't as good as people thought. And one of the disappointing things for me as a fan was like in my video, like I'm not even an analyst for a team. I want to get, I, I think it'd be awesome to get to that point. But in my video, I said that the Patriots ran you know, a good chunk of cover two last year when they played the Chargers. Like they played almost an equal number of snaps of cover one, three, and cover two. And for Justin Herbert to go on the stand and say, oh, we didn't expect cover two, even though, like, they played that against you last year. Yeah, they've been a single high safety team running cover one and three this year, but they played cover two last year. And for you to not expect that is you know, it is concerning. And I wonder if it's the inexperienced staff, you know, like Kevin Coger, uh, guys like him, Derek Foster, Shane Day, Joel Lombardi, like haven't really had as much experience in like an enhanced role, um, you know, like Frank Smith also, but like he's more on the offensive line. So I don't know how much he has input with in the game plan. Um, but yeah, it is a bit concerning that they didn't expect a lot of cover too, right? I, I, and another thing that, you know, I... I've, I've been trying to think about like wh- why the Chargers offense hasn't looked that good. And like in certain situations, jo- it feels like Joe Lombardi isn't scheming up good things. The Chargers have not been, a, have not been good against the blitz in 2020. They had about a 0.148 EPA per play versus the blitz. Remember EPA stands for expected points added. And it's a good measure of efficiency for an offense and defense. The Chargers ranked like right outside the top 10 
uh, versus the Blitz per EPA per plate. In 2020, they have a 0.002 EPA per play versus the Blitz, ranking 17. So right about average, slightly below average versus the Blitz. And like a 0.146 drop-off is pretty big. Like it's a big drop-off. And the reason for that is because I don't think Lombardi has done a good job scheming up things for Herbert or scheming up things in general. Like I, I talked about this two weeks ago, like the, the whole idea of having this matchup-based offense is basically saying, okay, we expect our receivers to go win one-on-one matchups, right? Like we think that they can win their one-on-one matchups a majority of the time. Well, the Chargers have the seventh most contested targets in the league the seventh most. And so that's telling me that, okay, Joel Lombardi is saying, okay, Keenan, Mike, you go win a route. Even if you're not open, we're going to get it to you because we believe. And okay, that's a, that's a strategy that could work, but like you're relying so much on players winning one-on-ones, the defense is eventually going to win. And when they do win on those first and second downs, you're left with these third and longs, which the chargers just can't, you know, it's not sustainable to convert third and longs every single drive. And so, you know, those are some things where I'm like, you know, why, like, where have the, where's the Chargers offense gone? And it's, it's just been a lot of contested targets. Um, the average depth of target for the Chargers, they rank 21st right now at 8.4, 8.4, like ranking 21st in average depth of target is, is crazy to me. Like the first six teams, the Ravens, the Bills, the Saints, the Raiders, the Broncos, and the Rams. All, all six are five of those six teams minus the Broncos are playoff teams and they rank first in average depth of target. Now I'm not saying you have to chuck it down the field every time. And in fact, teams are playing a lot of too high coverages versus guys like Herbert and Mahomes to take away those deep balls, but there, it, it just seems like there's no aggressiveness anymore. And it's, I don't know if that's on the players. I don't know if that's on Joel Lombardi, the office. I don't know who it's on. And I think that's the issue that we really don't know who to blame, even though it's, it's a collective effort. But when I'm watching that Patriots game, I'm like, there's no, it doesn't seem like there's any creativity and you know, it's just a lot of spot concepts, like dig concept. Like there's, I feel like Shane Steichen skiing players open better. I like, that was my opinion. And obviously Lombardi can change my opinion as the season goes on, but you know, there, there does need to be some improvements. And one of the things is they need to stop running these damn wide receiver screens, guys. I'm sorry. Like at PFF, my fellow intern, Connor McQuiston, found that wide receivers, wide receiver screens are actually not an efficient play. As you can see, they are the least efficient screenplay out of the four screens you can run, such as tight end screens, running back screens, slot receiver screens, and outside receiver screens. So for Herbert to just be throwing these wide receiver screens to Mike Williams or Keenan Allen on first and second down, have they worked at all? Like literally have, has one wide receiver screen worked? No, I do think the running back screen game has been effective like a little bit, but it hasn't, it hasn't been where it needs to be. I just don't get why they try to emulate the Packers when the only re- the reason why the Packers wide receiver bubble screens to Devontae Adams work so well is because Aaron Rodgers has the quickest release in the NFL. Justin Herbert has a windup. So when he winds it up and he's throwing it to his receiver, the, the cornerbacks can read that. So they break on the ball as he's winding up. With Rodgers, it's just drop back and snap it. 
And so the, the corners don't have enough time to react, which means, you know, Devontae Adams has all the space to work with, but it's not the same for Herbert. And I don't, I think they're forcing that when they shouldn't be. Now let's, let's go to the defense and the defense I thought played pretty well against the Patriots, all things considered. So in this graph, we're looking at defensive play action. So we're looking at EPA per play when it, when the offense runs play action versus uh, a defense's rush EPA per play allowed. So as, as we all know, the Chargers have the worst run defense in the league per EPA per play. I thought they played a, a little bit better with Justin Jones, but you know, the Patriots still ran for 140 yards. I don't care that it was like 3.8 yards per carry. The Patriots were able to get 140 yards on the ground. But what I found was teams that are bad against the run are also bad versus play action. And I feel like this is something that should be common knowledge Right, like if you're bad versus the run, that likely means your deep defensive line is bad, which means your run linebackers need to help out and run fit. So your linebackers on that second level have to step up when they see a handoff because they know their defensive line is not able to get a push. So if they're playing those run fits and they're not able to diagnose that it's a play action, they're going to get beat over top by crosses every time. And that's what the Patriots did versus the Chargers on that last drive. They, they had like a couple first and second downs and they ran two play actions where Jacoby Myers, I believe, and um, I think it was Kendrick Bourne on the other one. They just ran a, a nice play action where they had the crosser come behind the linebackers. And because the D line isn't that good, you know, the linebackers like Tranquil and Kaiser had to step up. So they're going to be worse versus play action until they fix this run defense. Right. Um, so, yeah, that I thought this was a cool graph. If we, so, um, if we go forward, the Chargers are actually really good on non-play action plays, believe it or not. Like they have the third best defense versus non-play action plays while they are below average when a team runs play action against them. So I thought those two graphs, um, here's the first one with play action and rush EPA. And here's the second one with uh, play action on or EPA from play action versus EPA on no play action plays. Now, let's just do a quick review of how the Chargers defense has progressed this season. So as you can see, the, the bars represent the percentile. So the first bar is the 75th percentile. The second bar is the 50th percentile. And the third bar is the 25th percentile. So the Chargers have had three performances over the 75th percentile, but they've had three pretty much four performances below the 50th percentile. So if it has been a little bit hit or miss, and the problem is the four best offenses they've played, they've had below 50 percentile defenses that game. So, you know, I, I misread or I miscalculated, you know, how good I thought this Chargers defense was going to be. Um, I did think it could be, a, it had the potential to be a top five, top three unit, haven't really showed that they're barely a top 10. If you consider them that they're right around league average, in my opinion, until they can prove that they can stop the run because they're just going to get gashed on the ground. And like my previous graph showed, once you get gashed on the ground, uh, it makes running play action so much easier for opposing offenses. Now the offense, the offense, like I said, has been good, but They've fallen off these past two weeks. So they've had uh, two performances over the 75th percentile, which were important because we needed those performances to win against the Chiefs and the Browns. But they've had pretty much 
three slash four performances below the 50th percentile. And even that Raiders game, like they played well, they had, a, they had a couple drives where they looked really good. And then a couple drives where the offensive line didn't hold up, where the play calling didn't look that good. All right, uh, guys. So last thing I wanted to go over was looking at Justin Herbert's passing map versus Matthew Stafford. So um, I'm sorry that it doesn't have the names, but the left, the left passing map is Justin Herbert and the right passing map is Matthew Stafford. The, the major problem I think I have with Lombardi is he's forcing Justin Herbert to make a ton of throws outside the hashes, which Herbert has the ability to do. Don't get me wrong. Like he has, you know, one of the best arms in the NFL. He can make any throw in the book, but throwing over the middle is much more efficient than throwing to the sideline. And it, you know, it's, it should be like a common knowledge thing because like you're throwing to the sideline, you need to put more velocity on the ball. There's a lot of, there's a higher chance it gets picked off, which we've seen. And you know, that's, that's something that McVay hasn't forced Stafford to do. If you look at like Stafford's like distribution of targets, it, there's a ton of stuff over the middle. Well, for Justin Herbert, all his stuff is concentrated to the outside. Like look at all of these targets and completions he's been forced to throw outside the hashes while you know uh, Stafford has had an MVP type season taking those routes over the middle and to me this is the biggest thing that the Chargers need to improve and I think there's a lot of throws to the outside which Herbert could make but it is it's tough and it's not as efficient as throwing over the middle and I don't know if it's if it's a design thing or they're just taking away over the middle stuff by playing too high coverages versus Herbert but it hasn't it hasn't worked the last two games. And that's something they have to improve on if they want to be contenders this year. Um, and yeah, so those were that's what all the data stuff I had to talk about. Now let's talk about the trade deadline just a little bit because I know this video is a little bit long. The Chargers will not make a move in, in the trade deadline. That's my prediction. And I'm like I said, I'm recording this at 10 a.m. Trade deadline is in six hours. The reason for this is they're not a team built to win a Super Bowl. And if they were they would be making a move in my opinion. The reason I say they're not going to make, they're not built to win a Super Bowl is they entered the season with Storm Norton as their backup swing tackle and teams that are going all in don't do that. Like teams that are going all in have quality depth at important positions where the drop-off is heavy. Offensive line, cornerbacks, edge rusher, and receivers. The Chargers are too deep at receiver with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. They have no depth on that, on that offensive line. They really don't have any depth at that cornerback position. And so they're not all in this year. If they started six and one, I would be, I would be pushing for them to go and trade for someone, but they're four and three coming off two of the worst losses of the season. And they've gotten exposed by two really good head coaches with really good defenses. And so they're not ready to go all in. Akeem Hicks, that's a pipe dream. Fletcher Cox, that's a pipe dream. If you expect them to go trade, for, if they trade for those players, I will eat my words and I will like issue an official apology, but they are not ready to go all in this year. And that's okay. Like they are pl legit playoff contenders. They are not Super Bowl contenders. And as much as I hate to say that, that is what the data shows. That is what the truth is. And, you know, this offense isn't like the expectation wasn't that this offense is going to be a top of the league offense in year one. Right. Drew Brees never picked up the Saints playbook until two years into his uh, Saints career. So with that being said, you know, I had a conversation with Brad Spielberger a couple couple weeks, months ago. And he, I mean, we talked about this all in idea and teams don't go all in until the third year of a QB's rookie deal. 
Look at Josh Allen trading for Stephon Diggs. Look at Kyler Murray, JJ Watt, AJ Green. They don't make all-in moves until the third year of a QB's rookie deal, which is next year. So I don't expect the Chargers to be active at the trade deadline. It won't surprise me if they make a move, if someone gets cut, but don't expect them to trade for anyone. And if you're hearing this and they haven't traded for anyone, now you know why. So that's going to wrap it up for, uh, for today's video. I hope you're able to learn a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the data behind uh, play action stuff, rush EPA, and ultimately my thoughts about Joe Lombardi. And yeah, with that, as always, bolts up. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com